So let's get to the nuts and bolts. Sorry, that's perfect timing though. My my sister's calling me. It's my. uh, uh, Let me. Let me. It's my birthday, so everybody's calling today. Oh, Pascal! Happy birthday! (laughs) Thank you. I'm sorry. I'll try and speed this along then. Don't don't worry. It's no. It's no. No problem. Well, I'm glad he said that because I ended up taking up way too much of Pascal Sabino's time on his birthday. But it's a great story. You'll hear it in a moment. Hey, everyone, this is It's All Good, a Block Club Chicago podcast, and this is episode 40, From Weed Arrests to Cannabis Entrepreneurs. I'm John Hansen. We'll get to the main story in a moment, but I want to remind everyone they can call the Good News Hotline, 312-772-5756 with your good news. So you leave us a voicemail with something really great in your life, your family or friends' lives, your favorite nonprofit that you want to shout out, the nonprofit you work for, your local business that's reached a new milestone. We want to share it all. 312-772-5756. And you just leave us a message there. All right, let's get to the story. When cannabis was legalized in Illinois in 2019, a lot of people loved the decision, but they also recognized that there were so many people that had been put in prison for a long time for using or selling the now legal drug. And as the billion-dollar industry has boomed here in other states, there has been continuous objections to the fact that the people profiting from the new industry are often white and wealthy. While the people still suffering the effects of years of draconian laws, many of them still in prison, many of them are black, and they will be the last to profit from the new law. And even beyond that, many are still feeling the effects of decades of criminalization. But there's a new program that's trying to change that one person at a time. Pascal Sabino joins us now. Pascal, did I sum up that okay as a lead into this discussion? Absolutely. So marijuana was legalized recreationally, and there was this point where we kind of absolutely have to confront some of the past of the war on drugs and the criminalization of marijuana. So I think the issue is that Black people have historically been the very first people to be harmed by prohibition and the criminalization of marijuana. But now that it's become a billion dollar industry, um, it seems like these same communities that were harmed by this substance now might be the very last to profit from it or benefit from its legalization, unless there's a little bit more intention with how regulators and our government is structuring this industry. That's a really good way to put it, because a lot of the people that were obviously hurt have had to suffer, even if they're out of prison. I mean, they're still facing uphill battles from that from that time. And you're right. I mean, the, the I think the very first debate we had on it was who is distributing this? Who gets to open up the shops? And that debate continues, right? Like we still have very a white owned and run business top to bottom. Absolutely. And when you think about the impact that the criminalization of cannabis had, it's not just on people who were incarcerated for small amounts of cannabis or even selling cannabis. It's entire communities. Mm -hmm. It's people's children, children who had to grow up without a father, entire communities that have been deprived of a workforce. And so it really, there, there has to be an impetus to create really community-wide efforts to reconcile with this, with this past. And so now that marijuana is legalized what do they call it big big cannabis big weed something like that it's just like these huge corporations kind of swooped in um and 
really snatched up a lot of the licenses because the way that the industry is structured, there's very limited opportunities for people to start businesses, to become growers, to become dispensaries. Um, and obviously the people who are the most positioned to get those licenses are the people who have tons of money on hand, who have really good lawyers and who can hire the best consultants, who can just make sure that they get these business opportunities. Obviously those people are generally rich and white and most likely not many of those folks are black. And obviously, this, I mean, this is a long discussion to have, and this is a long road to try and rectify this a little bit, but the Still I Rise scholarship is at least tackling one person at a time. And I always appreciate when it's like, well, yes, there is a giant mountain to get at. There's an iceberg of injustice. Um, and you could stare at that and want it to melt away slowly, or you could start chipping away. And I feel like this is what this is. Yeah, so this Still I Rise scholarship seems like an excellent opportunity to create a, a workforce for the cannabis industry and allow um, that workforce to start to do some of this work of restorative justice and prioritizing the people who were historically harmed by cannabis prohibition. And what's interesting about this is one of the issues with criminalization of weed is that somebody gets arrested for a possession, then they've got a rap sheet. When you've got a rap sheet, it's so, so, so much harder to get employed because so many employers don't want to hire somebody who's been to jail, somebody who's been arrested, somebody who they're afraid, you know, because of all of the stereotypes around this substance, they might be afraid that that person's going to be smoking on the job or whatever. And so a lot of people who have these past marijuana convictions, they struggled just to just to provide for their families to, to, to get employed. And so it's so important that as this industry opens up and as there's tons of jobs being created by cannabis, you know, the cannabis industry, that those jobs should go to people who have been historically disenfranchised and historically boxed out of the workforce because of those past convictions. Let's get to the nuts and bolts of who is providing these stipends, what the program is, uh, because I think it's important to give these organizations their proper due. The program, it comes out of the mayor's office. It's an initiative funded by cannabis tax revenue. Um, which is cool. I think that's one of the things that was talked about as weed was being legalized. What can we do with all of this money that we'll get from taxing marijuana? So it's funded by marijuana taxes. The organizations that run it, the main one is Olive Harvey College, one of the city colleges, which developed a cannabis studies program. Right now they have a certificate. They're working towards a full associate's degree that I think is going to be launching in uh, spring 2023. And then Olive Harvey is also partnered with nonprofits on the West side and on the South side, specifically UCAN, which is a trauma-informed social service agency and Centers for New Horizon. Um, together, these organizations are creating a pipeline of finding people who have these past marijuana arrests and also providing those folks with wraparound social services, trauma-informed services, behavioral health support, child care, you name it, anything that, be, that folks need to be successful as they earn this higher education. So Olive Harvey College has a certificate and they're going to get it accredited hopefully by spring of 2023, which is just next year, to offer an associate's degree the students and potential students come from an organization that already has connections with people that have suffered from this. And the money to pay for the stipend comes from the mayor's office, which comes directly from the revenue created by weed. I think I've got that all right, right? Yeah, that's, that's right. Cool. That's really great. I think it's a, it's a great way to 
uh, it's a great partnership when you have the apparatus in place, like a college that's providing this uh, degree for people, or hopefully this degree for people soon. And then you can find the people because you already have organizations, boots on the ground. And then you take the revenue, not from Joe Q taxpayer who's going to get mad about it. It's from the revenue from this billion-dollar industry that's doing so well in Illinois to, to funnel people's way through it. Have you talked to some of the recipients of the program and, and their thoughts on, on what, they're, what they've been feeling so far? I have. I've talked to some of the people who are recipients of the program. It's complex. There's so much trauma wrapped up with these histories behind cannabis. And so a lot of people are really excited for these opportunities. Obviously, people are really excited about the, the perks that come with the scholarship, things like childcare, a laptop, transportation, a thousand dollar monthly stipend. These things are all really, really great. Um, and I think that it's an awesome opportunity for folks who, you know, have a lot of experience with cannabis, people who have grown cannabis on the informal market and have thought a lot about um, you know, a lot of the science and things like that that go into cannabis, but bringing that into a more formal setting, I think is really valuable and opens up a lot of opportunities, not only for um, career development or workforce development, you know, getting a job in the industry. I think it also opens up opportunities for people to think about entrepreneurship. You know, how can we start to create not just jobs for black people, but opportunities for black ownership within this billion dollar industry. On the other hand, there's some skepticism, which I think is really, really a valuable skepticism where some people who are in the program are wondering, we have this more formal education now around cannabis, but what does that mean for, I guess, creating more, more, you know, I don't even know if we should go into that. No, I think I know what you're saying. It's very interesting that it is the thing that they were put in jail for, right? This negative connotation thing on all the trappings that come with the demonizing of this, of this substance Mm -hmm. And now it is the avenue in which they are going to profit from themselves. That is a strange juxtaposition, right? It is. But then on the other hand, it's kind of, why does weed have to be packaged? And why does it have to be presented and framed in this certain way where it's a little bit more legitimate now? It reminds me of the politics of respectability, where there's like these bad connotations with marijuana of like the weed head standing on the corner doing whatever. And then we're kind of putting it in this academic setting where it's a little bit more legitimate, a little bit more um, appeasing, where you think of like these bud tenders and weed sommeliers and, you know, all of the science behind it that makes it feel a little bit more, a little bit more presentable and very separate from, from the illicit market that it's historically been a part of. And so you just kind of think like, why does it have to be presented this way? for it to be legitimate? Why do people have to go to college to understand or or like get a degree in this thing that like people have been using and studying in a different context for decades, generations, hundreds of years, you know, but we kind of take it from black culture, give it to these white corporations. And now you got to play by those rules. Right now you've got to play by these rules. You've got to get your associate's degree or whatever in order to have a a fair chance in this industry. So it's, it's just complicated is all that I'm saying. People have there, there's an, a certain feeling of, you know, why do we have to do all of this? Right. Just to be taken seriously in this industry that was built on the backs of the suffering of the, the, you know, this group of people, you know, why do we have to do all of this just to have a place in here? Right. So I think that gets back to the point earlier of um, this isn't something overall, like this whole mission of equity within the industry, it's not something that can happen 
exclusively at an individual level because the impacts of um, cannabis criminalization happened at a, a, an entire community level. It's interesting. That's a really great point. Um, but then it's like, sometimes you got to play this game and it sucks oh, yeah. and it's a game that shouldn't have to be played sometimes, but yeah, this absolutely. is the new game. And I'm glad that these folks are going to get a chance to play it at least and level that playing field to finish the sports metaphors. I do think it's interesting that there is, you know, beyond just the selling and, and the entrepreneurship, there is a science to it and the biology, the plant biology that could be part of the program does offer some insights to people that maybe does get them ahead of maybe other people who, who don't have that scientific understanding of how the, you know, THC interacts with the can, how it all works. Yeah. So I think, I guess that's one of the things that comes alongside with legalization is that now we as a society can start to think about this plant a little bit differently. Like we've known that marijuana is medicinal. We've known this for a long time. We know that it, it can be used for stress, anxiety, depression, you know, pain relief in certain circumstances, all of these things. But what's cool is that now that it's being studied in an academic context, like there's opportunity to examine how it interacts with, for example, our endocannabinoid system, which is a part of our nervous system that responds to cannabis, but it's also tied in with some other parts of our bodies. Um, and so some of the people I've talked to uh, who are participating in the cannabis studies program at Olive Harvey, they said that their interest is in looking at how cannabis can be used in concert with other herbal medications, plant-based and holistic wellness products, things like Irish sea moss, or perilla oil and how those things can have a synergistic effect and kind of boost the medicinal benefits of both of these wellness products. How many folks are going to get these scholarships and I guess they go into effect or have gone into effect already or is it in the, in the near future? So there are currently two cohorts of people in the scholarships. It's a total of 47 students who are in the program. So they get $1,000, right? Yes, $1,000 a month, and that's no strings attached. That's money that people can use for anything, which is so important because going to school is hard, especially when you have other things to worry about. A lot of the people on this program, they still have court cases related to marijuana. They might want to use that $1,000 to help get their cases expunged. Wait, are you kidding? So some of these people are still dealing with the, with the justice system, and now they're getting essentially a degree or a certification in how to sell it. And they're still dealing with the court system for what they did in the past. Yes. And the irony is that in order to participate in certain elements of the cannabis industry, for example, to apply for a license to grow or a license for a dispensary, anything like that, you can't have a fast conviction on your record. So you have to get your cannabis record expunged to get into the cannabis industry. So well, my brain just exploded. So <laughs> <laughs> what the it's 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 so not funny it's so awful like yeah. it's okay podcast time out this is john now outside of the conversation with pascal because when he said that i really think my brain did explode i mean that's pure naivety i, sh I should know this uh, but i knew we had to talk to one of the students and we're not going to identify him because as pascal mentioned there are still some outstanding legal proceedings as this person works to get their record expunged but first, I wanted to ask how he likes the classes and what he's getting out of it. Actually, I love it. I, I, liked it, I like it a lot more than I thought I would. My main interest was, uh, was learning and cultivation of cannabis because I was trying to get my green thumb on. I wanted to learn how to grow and grow vegetables and other stuff in the process. But 
the fact that they can actually teach you how to grow cannabis and this is not just something I'm learning from a YouTube video or from I'm hearing off the streets. It's something I can actually, I went to school for it so I can study and learn this the right way. When I started the program, the other classes even too, even with cannabis law and business, all of these classes was just exposing me to different things, opening my eyes, broadening my horizon, so to speak, to other areas and other business that I didn't even really realize I, could, I was interested in. It is helpful, a, a good helping hand on just taking a step toward the right direction in this, with this industry. Then I asked a little bit about what he hopes to do once he gets his certificate. And, I mean, it's just as Pascal said. It's not like he gets to profit from all the knowledge he's gained right away. Like I said, we're taking a cannabis law class, too, so I'm already realizing certain things that I'm not eligible to do in the industry. Well, because I have a felony, um, I'm not even allowed to have a... I don't believe I'm even allowed to apply for an application to own a dispensary. Yet alone, I'm actually, I'm not even allowed to actually work in a dispensary. I would, lie, I would definitely be lying to you if I told you it wasn't depression at times, but such is life, man. I just like to not let stuff like that get to me. It's just out of my hands, out of my hands. But I'm just trying to look for the silver lining in the clouds, so I feel like I'm getting a leg up. And despite all that, I asked if there's anything else that we should know. I'm in general, I think it's a great program. My professors, the people at UCAN, everybody involved with the program, even my classmates, everybody making me real comfortable with going back to school. I know a lot of people, especially in my age, and we leave school for so long, you go. It's, it's kind of scary to go back. And you got all this new technology and stuff. It's kind of scary, but you know, I'm actually thinking about Enrolling in school after the program is over with and finishing my associate's degree, at least myself. So I definitely think more people should actually invest and get involved with this program and more across the air, across the city area. Maybe you have people talking about it more. You get even people who's younger and before they make mistakes like I did, before they lose their opportunities to get involved in the industry, maybe if they hear about this program, that direct them down the right path so they won't be in my position. Very well said. Okay, picking things back up on my wrap-up with Pascal. Time in. Okay, well, one chip off the iceberg at a time. I don't know why yeah. I'm trying to melt icebergs. We already have that. That's already a problem. Yeah, I need another right. metaphor, Pascal. The icebergs are melting too fast, John. Yeah, I know. Never mind. One more chip on the ice. I don't know. Pascal, thanks for breaking this story down for us. I appreciate it. Of course. And that'll do it for It's All Good, a Block Club Chicago podcast, episode 40. You know what you can do to help? You can tell your friends about the podcast. That goes a long way. And, of course, keep on listening and call the Good News Hotline if you want at 312-772-5756. Till next time, I'm John Hanson, and we'll drop another pod on you next week. 